This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. People don't know necessarily uh, what they want. They want you to show them what they need. And I think that that is when uh, that is when you really establish um, the brands that are loved brands is, is that when you've got people who are uh, telling other people about your brand because it has solved a problem for for you and uh, and you know they smile about your brand they they um, they want to have they want to know more about your brand they want to understand you know, why you decided to develop it, why um, they want to share why it's important in their life. This was Kara Golden, the founder and CEO of Hint, the leading unsweetened flavored water in the U.S., loved by millions. What a great pleasure it was to have her on. And within minutes of listening to Kara, you will understand why she became as successful as she has. Kara shared so many crucial lessons for both entrepreneurs and marketers alike, and her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, was released last October and is now a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And there are many more life and business lessons to be picked up, so go and check it out. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank the latest supporters of the show, Dexter Biela for joining the Creative Circle and Soli Bahati for jumping on board the Startup Circle. If you enjoy this unique show where I feature some of the most charismatic founders of the most interesting brands of today and you want to keep it advertising free while jumping on a monthly mentorship call with yours truly, head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark. And now, without further ado, over to my inspiring conversation with Kara Golden. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you here. Um, the brand you founded in 2005, Hint, can be found in most markets around the US and is now the number one flavored water in the nation. It turned into an iconic brand loved by millions and known by most probably everyone who's listening to us right now. I think in your Twitter bio, you say, and I love that, you say that you started in tech, you landed in water. <laughs> how how does, it is true. Um, how does a VP of shopping partnerships at America Online move over into entrepreneurship with none less than a product in the highly competitive water segment? I learned that your father was a GM at Conagra Brands, which is a gigantic CPG holding company. And he was actually fundamental in creating the Healthy Choice brand with the help of none other than Julia Child. Did, did that crazy. have, it's crazy. Did, did that have anything to do with your jump into consumer packaged goods or how did it, how did it come about? Tell us a little bit about your, your journey into entrepreneurship. Sure. Well, I think my journey into entrepreneurship, first of all, came by accident. So I, I frequently think back on so many moments, including some of the ones that you just mentioned as really, uh, you know, definitely core things that helped me to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't set out thinking, oh, I'm going to go and start a beverage company for sure. But I think that the one fundamental thing that I did have was an idea to solve a problem. And I think that that is something that every entrepreneur needs to start with. And the and for me, it was a very personal uh, problem that I was going through with my health. I had gained a bunch of weight over the course of many, many years, and I had developed bad acne, um, not really thinking that those two connected in any way. Um, but when I decided, when I was taking a break from tech and trying to figure out what my next role would be, when I decided to try and solve those problems, that was when I 
realized that it really wasn't as hard as I had originally thought if I knew what to do. And that was enjoy drinking water. I had been drinking diet soda for years, thinking that I was doing the right thing. And, uh, and then when I just did a little test and made the switch to water, uh, that's when I realized that I cleared up my skin and I lost the weight, but there was one problem. Water for me was really darn boring. And so <laughs> I thought I could do this short term, but long term, it's going to be much, much tougher. And that's when I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in the water. And that solved the problem. That was the moment when I really looked at the industry as a whole. And I thought, gosh, you know, the diet soda industry, all these healthy perception products, the diets that so many people go on, it is a multi-billion dollar industry combined mm. with, you know, all of those different segments. And I thought, you know, what people really want to do is get healthy, mm -hmm. right? And, and they're spending lots of money on it. And if I could actually take my idea, which is not very expensive for consumers to buy into that if I could take that idea to them and I really led with solving this problem less than saying, I'm going to go launch a company. I'm going to go be a beverage entrepreneur, <laughs> that that will help a lot of people. And so leading with this, this passion, this interest around helping around, uh, around, having an idea for how to help and executing on that was really how I thought about this. And, and today I'll go as far as to say, I talk to many entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs. It starts with an idea and an idea that actually solves a problem for people that you, it may not be your problem. It helps because it becomes very personal and you yeah. become interested in it, Yeah, but you have to be able to, uh, it, it, it really does start with being able to solve a problem and understanding that it's a problem for many, or it's a service that will help a lot of people ultimately. Because if that isn't there, it's really, really tough to get a scalable business. And that's not to say that you can't go be an entrepreneur and start a small business, but if you want it to be a larger business, if you want to be that, you know, the the unicorn uh, entrepreneurs that we all hear about out there, <laughs> you have to have a business that you can really think about, think about as one that can scale. And was that initially, was that always your goal when you, I mean, obviously you, you started, quote unquote, you started the company for yourself, right? I mean, in the beginning, it was like, here's yeah. my problem. Um, there are plenty of people out there that have the same problem. Uh, back back in those days, right, uh, the mid-2000s, the mid uh, every executive had a Diet Coke on their table, right? <laughs> it was kind of like this weird thing, right? Um, so everyone, oh, right. It, it was it was this whole brainwashing of what, you know, what, what actually is supposed to be healthy. Did you, in the beginning, when you launched Hint, did you focus on a tiny niche market initially or, or did you go full mass market from the get-go you're like this is a product for everyone let's let's try for this to let's be let's have the messaging be so big or did you start with a really narrow focus on let's say you know people that have health issues or you know like great question yeah well so I decided that I could help a lot of people and I knew that they were out there that they were drinking products like what I was drinking, diet soda, or they were, you know, drinking other things that kind of had this halo in their mind of healthy perception, right? Or healthy reality, but they were actually healthy perception type of products. So things like, you know, the vitamin drinks and things like that, that were out there that they were drinking them because they believed that they vitamin had. vitamin water. I can say it. You maybe can't. Right. Well, <laughs> no, I, I can say it, but it's but that was yeah. that was kind of that was what the market was at that time. That there yeah. were those that there were those products out there. But pretty quickly, what I realized was that there were uh, there were consumers who definitely wanted to drink water. Some of them were uh didn't realize that these healthy perception products had lots of uh, 
sweeteners in them, whether it's sugar or diet sweeteners, or they might have other stuff, food coloring, what, whatever it is. And then when they tasted a product like Hint, then I started to get this story from them, which was kind of why they enjoyed the product and why the connection. First of all, they liked the taste of it without the sweeteners in it and the fruit in it. But then I started to hear about other reasons why they wanted to drink water and they didn't want sweeteners and they were looking for an unsweetened flavored water like Hint. Like uh, I remember hearing from uh, one a customer in the first couple of days of getting our product on the shelf and they called our customer service line. Don't tell anybody it was me answering the phone, <laughs> right? It was me. Uh, and I was hearing about this disease called type two diabetes, which I had mm -hmm. never heard about. And, um, and I remember this gentleman sharing that type two diabetes that he had, he found that his uh, blood sugar levels actually spiked when he had diet sweeteners. And again, I had, I didn't even know the difference between type one type two diabetes at mm -hmm. that point, but I was hearing from customers that they were, seeing it for themselves, that they were trying to solve a problem for themselves. And they had been looking for a product like Hint. And thank you so much for launching this product. But then I was also hearing from, I call them the gatekeepers, the people that I was dealing with at, at that time, the, you know, Whole Foods, the grocery stores that we were going into. And again, we were in a first few months, we were in maybe 10 grocery stores in the San Francisco Bay Area. They were all the specialty stores. Because it's still amazing, big, right? I mean, just to be in grocery stores within the first months, it's 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 still, yeah. it's still a great achievement. It was a, it was a big deal. But yeah. but I couldn't, you know, the, the big companies like the Safeways and the big, you know, the Costco's, the Target's, we were still way too small for them. We couldn't even figure out how to actually get a meeting with them to get our product in front of them. But even with the specialty stores, I would bring in my product hint and I'd say, here's hint, it's an unsweetened flavored water. And they would say, what's it sweetened with? They would like the taste of it, but they would want to know what it was sweetened with. And <laughs> I remember thinking, thinking, probably didn't say it, but I said, are you reading the bottle? I mean, did you listen <laughs> to me? It's an unsweetened flavored water. And, and what I realized was that the customer, I had two customers. I had the customer that was making the decisions, my gatekeeper as to whether or not I would get it on the shelf. But I also had the customer like me or this gentleman that I was talking to, you know, th on my customer service line who hadn't seen this kind of product before. The buyers at the grocery stores were trying to figure out what category I was in. And so mm -hmm. I hadn't even thought about the fact that I was launching an entirely new category. And this is really important because pretend that you've got an idea in any industry for a company, you're, you're maybe speaking really quietly about it because you don't want anybody to know your idea. The reality is, is if you are the only product like it out there, as Hint was, you may be launching an entirely new category, which sounds great. But the problem is, is that you're the only one yeah. that is explaining it to people, right? I'm the only one telling buyers that this is an unsweetened flavored water and you need to put it on the shelf. And their response to me was, well, if it's so important for me to have it on the shelf, then where are the, where's the competition? I mean, the product tastes exactly. great, yeah. but I need more people to actually create an entirely new category on the shelf. And I, I'm looking at them like they have four heads because I thought, well, just give me all that space, but they're not going to do it because they want to know that the category is something that the consumer wants. And so how did I get around this? I figured out the very small base of customers that I had that were purchasing our product. I would either reach out to them because they had reached out to us through customer service to talk to us about the product. Or I would literally go into stores and I would watch people pull the product off the shelf. And I would ask them more about who they are and what they, why they were picking this product up. Sometimes I would understand 
a lot more about, you know, the color of the label or what flavors they were looking for. But as I started talking to them, I would also get, you know, requests from them, for example, about uh, some initiative that they were involved in. Maybe it was diabetes walk or a PTA or something, you know, something that they were involved in that led me to believe that maybe there's more people like them that might be interested in my product. So we called that field activations where mm -hmm. we would go out and we would sample our product. It's very easy to do that with water. Um, it's a little harder if you don't have like a physical product to be able to, not impossible, depending on what the product or the, you know, category is. But people have always asked me, you know, when you're building your company, um, did you feel like if you had a lot more money in the beginning to go out and advertise, especially since you were launching a new category, could you have gone faster? And I don't think so. I mean, I could have blanketed the cities with tons and tons of advertising, but unless people tried it, unless people engaged with it, um, felt like they were discovering the product, yeah. It, it just, it takes time. And that's the problem with having a new product and not having competition. And it's something I share in my book. It's just, it's, it's like a double-edged sword. And so sometimes when competitors come in and you think, okay, now the nail is going in my coffin, <laughs> it's actually a really, really good thing. Yeah. And what you have to do is actually just stay the course and have a great product and be better. And learn, right. and learn from the competitors, right? Seeing what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And it's so exciting to have that ability. And if you have no one out there, it's it's yeah. it's But difficult. it's counter, especially when they have, that competitor has billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Or, right? And, and instead, what I realized is that often those billion-dollar competitors, when they're coming into a new category and they're chasing you, maybe they're trying to put you out of business. The most important thing is for you to stay the course, but also for you to have enough other business to stay alive. So if they come in and let's say they, you know, pull you out, they go and shove you over to the side, they have more manpower, they have more advertising dollars, whatever it is, they have better relationships with the retailer than you have. And so they're going to, they're going to disrupt and, and, you know, shake, shake you up in some way where you're going to have to, you know, move over or get your product out of there. It's typically temporary because what ends up happening is those big guys, especially when it's not what they do every single day, they will, they will add, add more credibility to the category and the thing that you built. And then that way, the buyer will start to look at, okay, well, now we need you know, more of these companies and maybe you'll end up coming back into the retailer that you got kicked out of. Or maybe the consumer then will go and try those products because they'll you know, loss leader them or you know, whatever they end up doing. But then as long as you share your story of what, why you did it, you have a great product, all of those things are the things that consumers will eventually come back to. So, so very often competitors are co-advertising for you, right? They're, they're co-advertising yeah. a category and then people go and they research, well, who else is out there? And then they actually mm -hmm. stumble upon you. And I mean, I mean, just, just the insanity when, when one thinks about it. And that's why it's, it's so exciting that you, you wrote this book and we're going to talk about this in a second, but just, just the insanity of going into a market that is CPG, that has all the big money behind it um it, and that that you knew would eventually get completely saturated which it has been uh, ever since you were on the market right and you have seen everyone come in to your market um that that the segment that you created um as someone who has a tech background um and and then you start bottling these waters what, what i am so fascinated by are always those first those first months right um because you know everyone makes it sound so easy well and then we were only in a couple of stores but but what's really exciting to me is how did you even bottle in the beginning? I mean, you didn't have a bottling plant. You didn't, I mean, maybe you did, but how did you, how, 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 how did the bottle look? Like, how was it branded? How, how did you make sure that it actually had a certain expiration date? Like, how, how did all of this work? Because that's usually with CPG, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of hiccups there usually. 
Yeah. Well, we we never owned our own bottling plants. We always co-packed through other uh, people because, again, we were just starting out. I mean, we, you know, we really... Uh, we had to learn so much and we didn't even know what we had to learn until we started, you know, making phone calls. And so one of the things, my, my specs for the product were uh, fruit, no sweeteners, no, so no diet sweeteners, no sugar, and no preservatives. And so I would call bottling plants. I would, you know, do a Google search and try and figure out who was out there that I could uh, bother to to bottle my product. And so I started <laughs> learning about minimums. I started learning right. about, you know, they would quickly size me up to determine whether or not I was a credible, you know, sale, potential sale on the phone. And, and they'd want to know, you know, what my background was. How did I come up with this idea? I had I had it down in terms of sharing the story of what my why was, but then, you know, they would ask, oh, well, have you ever done a beverage before? Did you used to work at Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever? I'd say, no, 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 no. And then I'd say, oh, I work at this company called AOL. And it was like silence, you know, crickets, <laughs> crickets on the phone. They were, they were like, wait, what? AOL has a beverage? No, they don't have a beverage. <laughs> What'd you do there? Never mind. Let's go back to the, to the drink, right? And so this was my life. I mean, I was constantly sharing, you know, the story. And oftentimes people would, you know, sort of somewhat politely, a couple of times not very politely, but <laughs> but hang up the phone on me. And, you know, they just and they just think, okay, she's gonna go away. That was just wasted, you know, 30 minutes of my life, but now she'll go away but I'm back, right? I'd, I'd come back and I'd say, hey, you know, we were chatting and I know you said that you couldn't get, you couldn't actually do a product that uh, didn't have preservatives in it, but what if we did it this way? Or what if we did it this way? And then, you know, and again, we'd go through these rounds where, um, you know, after a while, I, I think that they started to kind of question why they believed that, a product had to have preservatives in it because I wasn't afraid to ask a very, very important question that I think any great entrepreneur asks when they move from one industry to another industry, right? You don't know all the answers. And I think that if you're okay with being with asking questions and and you're okay with being humbled and being told you don't know what you're talking about like you're you worked at a tech company and now you're going and starting this beverage company i heard that over and over again but i would ask this question why do products need to have preservatives in it and many of the bottlers would say just because and mm -hmm. i learned very early on as an annoying little girl when, you know, I would hear my parents say just because I'd say, why, why, <laughs> why, 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 right? And, and so I continued to do that when I grew up and when I was trying to start my business, I'd say, why is that? And a few times people would catch themselves responding to me that way. And they'd say, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to that question. Then I would end the call and then maybe months later as I started to gather more information as to why we might be able to change this, that's when I would call them back and I'd say, hey, I was talking to this guy in South Carolina and he said, if we change this, if we do this, if we add this piece, that it might be possible. And they'd say, oh, that's really interesting. I never really thought about it. Again, what I was bringing to these bottling plants I wanted to solve the problem for myself and be able to bottle with people. But in addition, what they saw is if I could actually bring them an idea that helped to solve their help to solve a problem, they could expand their business mm -hmm. and they could do more. Right. And so that yeah. and so that's what they were hearing out of me. And so they and so there were plenty of, you know, not so smart people that didn't pay attention, but then there were a few that were really interested because they thought, oh, that's really interesting. If I could take, you know, that component, if I didn't have to add preservatives to a lot of these products and instead use heat, then that would be less expensive for me and easier for, for me to, or actually it's not easier, a little harder, but 
more cost effective for me to do. And so that was, uh, you know, something again, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't really understand what I was getting into at that point. But this idea of actually producing a product that used real fruit and didn't use preservatives in it, it wasn't being done in the water industry. There were juice companies, right, which is right. a, lot, a whole different thing, but water companies were not doing that. And so, that, so, you know, I just was relentless and, and uh, willing to ask questions and not be the smartest person in the room. And, and frankly, that changed an industry in a way um, to actually bottle product for lots of companies today. That's uh, yeah. That that's that's amazing. I mean, when when I back at around the same time when you must have gone through this, I worked for Evolution Juice, which uh, you know oh, yeah. they got acquired yeah, yeah. by Starbucks, Absolutely. and I was I was back then working directly uh, with 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 the founder and 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 with uh, with with the, the head of marketing, um, and they were just they were just realizing this whole idea of using heat and and how this all works, and it was a fascinating journey, just going to the plant and seeing how everything um, everything comes about, and and they were I mean they were fighting the fight too you know like how can yeah. we how no, can we ship I, our I product i remember right? when they first started and um and it was uh yeah i mean they were they were trying to figure out new ways of doing things too and that's the thing i mean i think it's a it's a sort of bigger conversation too is that when you initially when you go into an industry you have your own doubts about you know, yourself, you think I've got to go find people who know what they're doing and what they're talking about and maybe go listen to them because they're going to have all the answers that I don't have. Um, but instead, what I realized is that so often you come from another industry, you're smart to begin with, and you go in and you're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to ask questions that those people with lots of years of experience who are seeing, you know, the same whiteboards doing the same thing over and over again, especially if they're successful, they're not going to be asking the weird questions. They're not asking, why do products need preservatives in them? They're not, right? And and I think so that true. it's, right? And, and so that's what I've realized about entrepreneurism as a whole, it's like the people that are innovative, the people that change, whether it's the process or the actual industry or you know the creators of these new categories, so many examples of this, they typically don't come from the industry. And, and yet it's not what we're taught, right? Any of these entrepreneurship classes that you know, didn't exist when I was in college, but exist today, that is the thing that is missing from these classes. And there are numerous examples oh, in yeah. so many different industries. And so you have to, as to coin Steve Jobs uh, term, you have to think differently, right? You have to, you have to be curious, you have to be, you, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be, um, you have to be willing to fail, you have to be willing to take your challenging times and learn from them and keep moving and not stay complacent. All of those things are what truly makes up the groundbreaking entrepreneurs that we see today. So important, so important what you just said, and 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 this 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 whole idea of you know I mean it's it's kind of it's be, it's beaten down because everyone's heard it right the idea of you have to ask why you have to constantly question, but what what you just said about you know about you know having that industry knowledge the problem with industry knowledge is exactly that right it's always step and repeat and even us as you know brand branders or marketers right we get clients all the time that say oh could I see could I see a couple of case studies. Of of, you know, I don't know, like certain, like really niche down, like we're in the retail space, we're doing this, we're doing this, and we, we want to see some uh, some case studies. And I'm like, look, we've done maybe 4,000 projects or like 2,000 projects or whatever the number is over my last 20 year career, right? But but we, we don't have exactly these case studies. And 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 that's and that's the problem, right? People shouldn't ask for that. It's like this is this is an advantage that we actually don't know the industry as well as you do because we write we ask the right questions to actually create something that is really differentiated. And wouldn't you want to be differentiated? Like, mm -hmm. wouldn't you wouldn't you want everything to not sound the same? It's like, oh yeah, we only work for credit unions. That's all we do. Well, good luck because you know then everything is going to look like every other credit union, right? And so I think. Yeah. 
that, that your concept can be applied to any business, even to service businesses. Um, it's really, you, you know, like coming in from the outside and looking at something, you know, from a different angle. That's what it takes so often. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's, it's a really good point that you make because it's like the, the larger companies, what, what I realized, you, you mentioned my father earlier, you know, when I realized just by his frustrations was that there were all these checkboxes that went, you know, that went into his daily life that had to, um, you, you know, he had to fight against other products that were fighting up against him for the freezer case, right? Because yeah. that's the way things were done. And it was looking at sales per square foot. And, and so things that I was learning as a little kid, never really understanding why I was learning those things, right? Hmm. But I think what, what I really realized is that the the ability to kind of think outside of the box and and do things a little bit differently and you know you certainly have to be smart you you have to really have you know you have to have curiosity you have to have the ability to kind of look not just at your own industry but also look at other industries and make those connections and contribute all of those things i think are really what that's what makes a successful entrepreneur journey right that that's yep. and, and and frankly a, a company um because they are they are constantly looking around at you know what other people are doing in other industries and you know i even in the beverage industry i mean today i i so many people have asked me along the way i mean what other beverage companies did you look at and i mean i I glanced at many other beverage companies, but I think there's two different types of entrepreneurs too. And I know you've dealt with a lot of entrepreneurs in lots of different industries, but there are entrepreneurs that start companies and essentially rip off ideas. Yeah. Like they, they see an idea and then they go create a, you know, a follower and, um, and there, that's one way to do it. And then there's other entrepreneurs that actually create categories and go and just and do they're the first movers and they you know create something totally new and that is really hard and that is you know that is exactly what we did at hint and uh and i you know i i just i know that i know that there are two different entrepreneurs i don't know that i could ever do the second right i yeah. to me it's just less interesting um because i think that my my curiosity um of of trying to solve a problem i would i naturally look at other people who have done it and i think they've already they're already out there maybe they won't be as successful as i would be but um, but for me, it's just, it really is about creating the new and solving the problem and, and looking at something that isn't there. And, and that is really what I try to do. Even when I look at for inspiration, when I look for, um, other, you know, people that I can sort of, um, look at their businesses and go off of, I typically look outside of the beverage industry, mm -hmm. um, you know, for people that have solved problems in, in lots of different categories. I, I I think this is really wise, and and I and I agree. And I'm I'm currently working on a on a little site, a startup of mine, and I'm doing the same thing. I look at other industries to to actually educate uh, what I could do in this industry, and so it's 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 a really really great great pointer. Let's look let's look back at the at at, at the journey of of Hint. Um, uh, what was that one big breakthrough moment where you felt like you know what now this little startup idea of mine is actually turning into a brand like now i can feel there's usually a trigger event right where mm -hmm. you validated it from something fun to do <laughs> you know to to actually wow this this could turn into a mainstream brand do you remember the moment where was the one incident where you just felt like you know what i think i think we're just about to make this to cut this corner you know, I I think that the challenge of of starting a company and and I guess building a brand as well is that you have these moments where, you know, you work 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 and then sometimes you you don't get to achieve what you set out to achieve at all. That happens a lot, um, <laughs> and hopefully not too much, right? And then once in a while you work 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 and then you achieve something. And you end up, 
I think you have this the small celebration. I mean, I'm thinking even getting the product on the shelf at Whole Foods, right? Um, that the first product on the shelf and you know, starting to hear from the buyer that they're going to order more. And then yeah, you hear I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Right. That's really, really exciting. Yeah. But then the rubber hits the road, how much work you have. So I remember, <laughs> you know, Whole Foods saying to, to us, okay, you've got it on the shelf. People are buying it. It's all great. And then they said, but you know, this, this like three week shelf life, we have to like move that up. Well, how much? Well, to six weeks. And then, and then you go work, 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 <laughs> six weeks. And then it's like, you know, we really need more like three months, three months. I just got six weeks. <laughs> right. And, and, and so this is, this is a cycle where you've got somebody like, you know, moving that, the, the high jump bar up every time you, you achieve it, then yeah. that's what it feels like. And so, you know, if you, and, and I, I sort of have another visual for people too, that I, I, love even more it's sort of like somebody gives you a puzzle and they don't give you the uh the the picture on the outside right <laughs> and so you have no idea what you're doing you go in and you're just building 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 and then you're you feel like you're making traction but then somebody comes and takes a handful of the pieces away and you're not even sure if you need them i mean you think you need them but you don't know if you need them tomorrow but they take them away <laughs> And then you're, you know, you're like, well, I better just keep working on something here. And if, I mean, if that visual bothers you, you shouldn't become an entrepreneur because, <laughs> it, because it will, it will happen. Yeah, and, yeah. and I guess the point is, is that you have these little successes, these, these little wins along the way, but then you never know when those pieces of the puzzle end up getting taken away from you. And then because there's no guarantees, right? And then and then suddenly you, I mean, I always share with entrepreneurs, that's why it's important to not put all your eggs in one basket. And that you you learn that the hard way too. And and all the lessons that you know can be learned from that as well. You have to pay attention to that because that is the that is the challenge of any business that whether you know even if you're in advertising right you put all your eggs with one client and then they wake up and then they say oh actually we're going to go do something different and you're like wait what yeah. what wait <laughs> what are you talking about i mean this can't be happening to me we put all our you know efforts into you we did a great job well actually we decided to change direction change strategy and yeah. that's a story i share in the book about my experience with Starbucks. And again, it was something that I dedicated, you know, a year and a half of my life to making sure that that was going to work and that we were great partners and everything. And then they changed strategy and the new strategy was awesome for them. And they were going to put more food and higher margin business in the case. But I mean, we were doing well with them. We got mm -hmm. bumped out of the case because they changed strategy. And I had product in my warehouse that was going to go bad. And the, the biggest lesson I learned from that is that never, ever put all your eggs in one basket. Did I dislike Starbucks for the moment when they shared that news with me? You bet. I defended myself. I did everything that I could. But it didn't matter. And in many ways, it was my own fault for not protecting my what, what would happen if that business went away. Yeah. And people do it over and over and over again. And I tell them, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how do I get my product into Whole Foods? I'm like, you'll, you'll get into Whole Foods. Don't worry about it. But then figure out how you get other pieces of business so that you're mm -hmm. not living and dying for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and keep everybody happy, but figure out these other, you know, ways to diversify and, and protect yourself. So I think that that is, that is like one of the biggest lessons that I've learned along the way is that you're going to have the wins. You'll, you, you know, focus on having a great product, a great story, a, you know, great curiosity questions, all of those things along the way, but diversify so that you, when somebody changes strategies, when somebody goes out of business, yeah. right? Yeah, you're yeah. not sitting there, you know, holding on to something that it will never be. 
Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about diversification. Um, let's talk about brand extensions uh, because Hint launched into the sunscreen space a few years mm-hmm. ago, and now you also make lip balms, you make deodorants. Um, far fetched from water, but the common thread is a hint of fruit flavor, right? So how did how did this expansion come about? And as we know, you're you're unafraid, but boy, that must have been a big move into again completely uncertain waters. I guess there's a pun um, for for you yet again, right? To go into sunscreen and 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 deodorants, and those are completely new um, new new segments. Uh, how did it come about? Yeah, well, the, the core, as you mentioned, is is really the fruit. And so for the taste when it's in the water, but the smell when it's in sunscreen and some of the other products that we have, but it really lies in the purpose of the company. So as you know, my purpose in launching Hint Water was health and to get myself healthy first. And when I looked at the sunscreen market, when I had another problem, uh, which was I had basal cell skin cancer on my nose. And I started looking for a sunscreen that I wanted to wear, that I wanted to have a relationship with the product, which is another thing that I've learned in building a brand, not just from my own company, but the other great companies that I had worked for is that for in order to actually sell a product and scale a company, you... it, it, it's not impossible to sell the first one. What's much more, what's much more difficult is actually to sell the second and the third one because mm-hmm. the consumer is making choices. They'll try things. You can figure out ways to get consumers to try things, but to get consumers to keep buying something, whether it's a service or a product or whatever, is it has to be great right? And it has to be memorable and they want to have an experience with it. In the case of sunscreen, I was never putting sunscreen on my face because I wanted to um, avoid things like zinc because zinc made me itch and I didn't want it under my foundation. I oftentimes it was white and they would just like Mm -hmm. discolor me in some way. And also the smell. I mean, a lot of products and still to this day are unscented. To me, I didn't understand why things were unscented. I, in some cases, they actually smelled really bad versus actually having no smell at all. And so that was, you know, when I had the scare, that's when I decided to really look around for a great sunscreen. I finally found a great sunscreen. Um, and it was in my dermatologist's office and it was $70 a bottle. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, for $70 a bottle and I just want to get healthy and have, you know, a great sunscreen to protect me. That's a lot of money. And I started my curiosity kicked into gear and I started thinking, is it really that expensive to create a sunscreen? (laughs) And then I went and bought all of the ingredients and I went in my kitchen and started creating my own sunscreen. And I remember like one does in the kitchen, just create your own sunscreen, of Of course, course. sunny afternoon. (laughs) And so a friend was over and she used to work for a big cosmetics company and she said, that's, this is really an interesting product. And I had taken the essences that are in our waters and threw some grapefruit into the bottle. And I thought, eh, this smells pretty good. And she said, you know, this product has to be approved by the FDA. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, for, for <laughs> hint sunscreen, it has to be approved by the FDA. And I said, oh, how do I do that? And I went on and Googled and looked for how to file uh, the application for for the sunscreen and they needed a company name and so I said oh I'll just put hint down and that was how it started I didn't intend on having a brand extension or you know product (laughs) extension off of the brand because I assumed that I could change the name well we got it took us about a year and we got the uh, FDA approval on the sunscreen. And that's when I, I thought, well, I already got the approval, maybe because I have a, our own direct-to-consumer business. I'll just launch it on drinkhint.com just to see what will happen. 
Because again, I didn't know if people would want it. You know, and you have an so, audience already, right? I mean, they're I already there. had an audience there. who had been buying the water. And you know what was so crazy? We launched it, get this, in January. And <laughs> we sent out an email to our customers. And we weren't even savvy enough to go and throw it on beaches or take it to Miami or, you know, Southern California during January, we instead just said, let's just send out an email to our customers and say, hey, we're launching the sunscreen and see what happens. And it was insane. It was like 80% of our customer base that had been buying on our website, which was significantly smaller than it is today. But still, it was something I mean, that that relationship with our customer that's when I knew that we really had a brand because we weren't even, we weren't even spraying them with the, they, they couldn't smell it, right? They were, they'd yeah. never try it. Yeah. We weren't yeah. sampling it. We just said, hey, will you buy this bottle for about 20 bucks? <laughs> and, and they did. And I thought, wow, like we're so not- So amazing. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, that that says a lot. And, 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 yeah. and on, on top of that, from from a brand perspective, it's amazing how far the brand name hint can actually carry you now. Right. Because mm -hmm. anything can have that hint in it. And it's all related with the big, I guess, you know, brand DNA or the big, uh, you know, why behind behind the brand, which is about health. Right. And the two, once you connect them, it can it can it can carry into a lot of different different areas, which is really interesting. Oh. I know we're I know we're coming to an end here slowly. I, there are so many more questions that I have, um, especially about your book. But there, there, there's one question that I that that I definitely need you um, to to answer for my listeners because they're waiting for it. Um, now that you crafted a brand beloved by millions and you outsmarted the Coca Colas of the world, <laughs> in in hindsight, what does what does branding mean to you? It's such an it's such a misunderstood word, branding. But what does it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think branding really is it really getting inside of the the needs of the consumer in in a way that helps consumers to um to know that you've got their back and and i think that that it is it brands today in particular have meaning right they 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 bring uh, they they don't just bring recognition um, but they also bring a lot more behind it and there's there's a development of of trust for who's ever behind that sometimes people don't even know who the people are initially but there's a there's an understanding that they get me right yep. and you know is and i think what is so interesting to to uh, to me is that when when brands get sticky, right? When when they uh, with with their consumers, when when you 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 know purchase a product, you interact with them in some way. That's when you. It's just like a relationship, a friendship, where you want to engage with them because they believe that you get them. And, and I think more than ever, that is the competitive advantage, frankly, for mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and new brands is that, is that, you know, there is a person behind, there is a person who had a problem that might not exactly be your problem, but it's something that you can connect to. Maybe a loved one that you know has a need for that or whatever it is, I think that that's when you establish um, you you establish this. Um, it's like a it's a needs hierarchy in a way that yeah, is, yeah. is going on. Um, that again, you I, I've never believed that asking the consumer what their problems are either is is the solution. And I think that it's it's really figuring out what problems exist. And coming up with the solution um, is where the brands that that really have longevity um, end up end up being because yeah, it's yeah. it's just a uh, people uh, people don't know necessarily uh, what they want they want you to show them what they need 
And I think that that is when, uh, that is when you really establish um, the brands that are loved brands is, is that when you've got people who are uh, telling other people about your brand because it has solved a problem for for you and uh, and you know they smile about your brand mm -hmm. they they um, they want to have they want to know more about your brand they want to understand you know why you decided to develop it why um, they want to share why it's important in their life and so. That is how I think about brands today. I I so agree with you. The wonder, wonderfully said. Listen, we're all we're, we're just about on the hour, and I want to make sure I let you go right on time because I'm sure you're back to back. Um, how how can people follow you personally or get to know Hint? Where can they find your book Undaunted, which we didn't have time Thank to talk you. about? But but please please everyone should pick it up. I'm I'm halfway through, and it's a, it's a fascinating story. Thank you. Well. I really appreciate that. It's called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And uh, it's on Amazon and, and many fine bookstores as well. Uh, please check it out. It's also on Audible too. And uh, of course, Hint Water. Uh, that's at drinkhint.com or also on Amazon and Costco, Walmart, lots of stores throughout the country, Target as well. And uh, and I'm all over social media at Kara Golden. Um, that's golden with an I. And I hope you will stop by and say hi. And I so appreciate uh, everyone listening to this. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet at some point. This was so much fun. Thank, thank you so much for the time you took today and for sharing all of your insights, Kara. Um, great, great pleasure having you and hitting the mark. Thank you so much. This conversation could have gone on for much, much longer. I was only able to get through half of my questions, but this is what happens when someone has a lot of wisdom to share. And what we received from Kara today was pure gold. I hope you appreciated it as much as I have. And if so, please do subscribe, rate, and share the show. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time, when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>